Welcome back. You're listening to episode 105 of CCP, the Caleb and Kathy podcast, also known as... I've decided I don't want to do this segment anymore. (laughs) That's not the initials. Yeah, I just feel like I've used all the C's and P's that are out there. So, no more. Consider it retired. Mm -hmm. Like the synopsis. Yeah. Retired. (laughs) We're just switching it up slowly by slowly. but We're chiseling away the fat. What is it? Separating the wheat from the chaff? I don't know. (laughs) I feel like that's a saying. I've never done it personally. So... I'm a city gal? Yeah, Kansas city gal. Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about the background of this doc. We haven't named the doc yet. Oh, let's let's (laughs) name the doc. The doc is named Baby God. Um, The baby god is Quincy Fortier. And he's not a god. He is. He thought he was, maybe. Um, So this movie came out in 2020. It is available on HBO, and it was directed by Hannah Olson. The runtime is 78 minutes, and it debuted at the Nantucket Film Festival. The setting is Las Vegas, Nevada, Pioche, Nevada, a little bit of Portland, and a little bit of Walker, Minnesota. Portland? I don't remember them going to Portland. Oh, that's where Wendy is from. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it takes kind of place... In, I mean, nowadays, but it's reflecting on this doctor's career. Mm-hmm. And let's get into it. Okay. Um, as I briefly mentioned, the main focus, I guess the entire focus really of the documentary is about Dr. Quincy Fortier mm-hmm. um, and his life as a doctor, mainly in his practice and his personal life. Uh, mm-hmm. We will get into later. Um, so we start off, Wendy, um, you briefly mentioned, she was a detective in Portland and she did this DNA test and kept seeing the name Fortier on Ancestry.com. And a brief aside, this documentary is brought to you by Ancestry.com. You may discover that your dad is not your dad. <laughs> Scary. Can be they don't advertise that to you in the commercials. No, everybody's happy with the results. Yeah, I I briefly, jokingly uh, made a note about that because there are multiple times. It seems like everybody who um, discovered that Quincy was their father was doing it through Ancestry.com. Yeah. Um, which I, I had a brief question here. Does 23andMe not do the family tree? Is that like Ancestry.com's got that part yeah. of it cornered? I feel like 23andMe is more like learning about your health and learning about your like... Cultural history, kind of yeah. where your ancient ancestors are from in the yeah. world. Versus Ancestry.com is more like your family tree and like documents that support that and making those Man, connections. I wish, I wish one did both, though. So. I mean, maybe... Maybe Ancestry does the traits? Cause the traits? To go off on a, on a tangent aside here, I was leaning more towards the 23 and me doing that one, but, I mean, I feel like the family tree is kind of interesting. I would want to know. But you can do that research without using Ancestry.com. Like, you could do gene- genealogy. But it's work. tougher. 
Yeah. But, well, I mean, you could do both. I just think that they're expensive. So, one at a time, for sure. That's why I'm weighing my options here. Let me know. <laughs> I'll set up a poll. <laughs> Ancestry.com, like 23andMe. 23andMe is I'm like... I'm going to just do the dog one and see what comes back. The dog one? Dog DNA one. I'm going to spit in that and send it and see what it comes back and tells me I am. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like 23andMe is more like our generation is doing it. And then when you're old and retired, you do Ancestry. Oh, okay. Oh. I see. Thank you. So mm-hmm. if you're 23 or close to it. I think that's just like chromosomes. I know. Or I'm, I'm, okay. I'm not that dumb. Okay. Thank I you don't for. I think you're dumb. Thank you for going off on that tangent with me. Back to the doc. No, I really do. This. This. Did spark yeah. it even more that you want to do that? 23andMe. Right. Yeah. I do. Okay. I'm interested. Uh, look forward to that going forward. Maybe we'll do that, and it'll be a currently captivating positive. <laughs> but what or if it'll be bad. Or something terrible. Or related to a terrible person like Dr. Quincy Fortier. Oh my God! If we great are somehow... segue back into this. I don't want to be related to this guy. For reasons we'll get into. Okay, so Wendy discovers that it's like that's weird. I don't. Yeah. That's not, like, my mom or my dad's last name, you know? Right. Like, like her maiden name or my dad's last name. Like, why is this coming up so much? Like, all these four-tier people. Mm-hmm. Um, A lot of siblings as well. Right. You want to hop in? So she tells her mom. Her mom's name is Kathy. Spelled correctly. <laughs> Had to make a note of that. <laughs> and then it kind of all begins in a way. It's like putting together all these links of like the mom's recollections of going to the women's hospital and her experience and then Wendy meeting um, her siblings and also just like discovering more about her biological dad. Okay. Do you have like more specifics? I feel like that's more like a general synopsis. Well, I was, I didn't want to get into anything too specific, because I feel like some of her findings were told later on in the doc. Okay. Because uh, I, I would say like... stuff that happens next then would be we meet these other doctors that were also at. Um... Yeah, that was my next note too. Why didn't you say that then? <laughs> because I didn't really relate to Wendy. Okay. I wasn't saying you had to give a note about Wendy. I was just saying, do you oh, want okay. To? Go for it. Okay. So we meet this creepy guy named Dr. Frank Silver. And this other creepy guy named Dr. Harrison Shield. Uh, Dr. Silver feels the need to show this woman's private parts to the camera. And I really hope that she gave consent for him to do that. Because, There's no way. There's yeah. zero. Zero percent that she did. Yeah. Like, so. what? This, why do you just have these pictures on your phone? That's super creepy. Yeah. Um, so, so you're starting to get the thing in your mind. Like, okay. These well, are all the coworkers, <laughs> or colleagues. And they're, they're, they're all pretty creepy. Yeah. So I can see how this could be fostered in this environment. Um, and did you have any other notes on those doctors? Yeah. Go well, on. they kind of reveal that this all started when they were all medical students. That... It was not frowned upon for medical students to donate their sperm and that 
you couldn't freeze sperm back then, so it was fresh sperm. They didn't know that they could freeze sperm, I think is what the yeah. guy said. I do have a note on that because I wanted to look this up because um, this is like sort of, no. Uh, so anyways, I had a note later. They keep saying it was like a common practice. Like, oh, this I guess, is, I know. I wrote that down. how it was done, you know, like mm. the, and I was like, do I believe that? Are you guys just outliers or was it actually a common practice? So I tried to look up and I went to the Wikipedia page for sperm donation um so here's a little lesson from wikipedia guys in 1884 professor william panscoat uh sorry pancoast of philadelphia's jefferson medical college performed an insemination on the wife of a sterile quaker merchant which may be the first insemination procedure that resulted in the birth of a child instead of taking the sperm from the husband the professor chloroformed the woman then let his medical students vote which one of them which one among them was the quote-unquote best-looking, with that elected one providing the sperm that was then syringed into her cervix? At the husband's request, his wife was never told how she became pregnant. As a result of this experiment, the merchant's wife gave birth to a son who became the first known child by donor insemination. The case was not revealed until 1909 when a letter by Addison Davis Hard appeared in the Medical World Journal. Well, I feel grosser for knowing that. Okay, more grossness. Just one more note here, because this relates more to this common practice thing, I think. In 1945, Mary Barton and others uh, published an article in the British Medical Journal on sperm donation. Barton, a gynecologist, founded a clinic in London which offered artificial insemination using donor sperm for women whose husbands were infertile. This clinic helped conceive 1,500 babies, of which Mary Barton's husband, Bertold Weisner, probably fathered about 600 Dang it. <laughs> yeah. So they may not be wrong that this was a common practice. That doesn't make it right, obviously. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, this was going to be my what I learned, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the f- film, there was a fact that said, like, two dozen doctors have mm-hmm. been discovered, like, post-filming this documentary to have done similar practices. Which is just gross. Right. Yeah, and the fact that it, the other doctors... This is even early on, and later we'll get kind of a turning point yeah. in the documentary, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But early on, even, um, like, the other doctors, like we said, knew, and his family said they were aware of it because yeah. he was, like, telling them, like, yeah, I'm, in, I'm helping them. And he claimed he would mix his sperm with their sperm to help it swim up, quote-unquote, swim upstream or something yeah. weird like that. Yep. Indeed, yes. The son was, one of his sons was interviewed early on, and he was like, yeah, dad said that all the time, that he was just helping people. Like that, and didn't, like, think that it was weird. Yeah. Which is weird. So he's doing this, it seems like, without the women's consent. Correct. They and no possibly the some of the husbands, it sounds like, did yeah. not know as well. Like, yes. the men and the women. Um. Correct. And I, I think, and it's at this point, and I almost crossed this out because I was like, I don't even want to give this dude credit for that. I, I wrote at this point, I think he might have been a smart man, but skipped the Hippocratic Oath part of his MD. Like, yeah. you, 
isn't it's like do no harm that's the initial exactly. thing yes do i no feel harm. like you're doing a lot of psychological and physical possibly damage yes to these women and these children you are creating yeah as well as his family which we'll get into later and just his practice in general the reputation of doctors the whole thing the whole a lot of damage yeah, there's no question that he was an intelligent man, but that doesn't... Yeah, and you're not saying that it does, but that doesn't make what he did okay. Right, and then... I I feel like... I, I don't know if I wrote this down. There was something later on that made it seem like he was trying... To, oh, I remember what it mm. was, I think. But I don't want to... It will spoil something later, so we'll get to that before I try to yeah. bring it up. Um, As we keep inferring, there's like a really big twist. We should have saw it coming, but... (laughs) That's exactly what I wrote. I wrote, (laughs) they really pulled a rug out from under you. Not that you don't see it coming. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I would say... Oh, I don't know. Did you mention the runtime of this? Yeah, 78 minutes. Yeah, so it's pretty short. Yeah. So probably about halfway through, though, you're like, okay, this guy's not a good guy. Like, he... Yeah. He's doing this without their consent. But, I mean, you know, he's helping them get pregnant. That's what they wanted. It seems like all these women yeah. are in for their husbands are infertile, perhaps. And, like, he's at least helping them have a baby, even though it's like, eh. Because, you know, they're interviewing his children and stuff. And they're saying, well, he was just trying to help them out. And he's yeah. such a loving person. And then we learn about his two adopted daughters. Uh, Sonia and Nanette. Thank you for writing all the names down. Um, and they're talking about him and really happy, like he adopted them later in life, and and then they say he was their gynecologist. Yeah, and that's just beyond creepy and gross. That's wrong. It's and not that, okay. Yeah, and then that led me to like search, like I was like, I thought there was a thing you're not supposed to. And while I did find something, it is technically not against the law, but. Uh, so this is from, um, let's see here, AMA, I don't know what exact, American Medical Association, yeah. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So, in general, physicians should not treat themselves or members of their own families. However, it may be acceptable to do in limited circumstances, i.e. in emergency settings or isolated settings where another physician is not available. So, I'm sure these girls could have gone and seen a guy, yes. this dude is just creepy. So yes start to unravel now even more okay are we ready for the unraveling the unraveling yeah let's just go for it so they also the adopted daughters also mentioned that he treated himself like he gave himself a circumcision and they were like so proud of that <laughs> how many doctors do you know could do that like that's those those two seem the most um like doctor they weren't oblivious but yeah naive um willingly naive i feel like they didn't yeah they 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 knew of the evidence and chose to not which i do think it would be incredibly difficult to have that person be your dad yeah and it seems like they did have um a good relationship with him and he raised them, and so you're going to be biased towards 
your dad, you know? Like, even if he's a terrible person or even if he's done bad things, you're going to keep seeing the good, which is tough. So I'm sure that they wrestle with that. But, yeah, they were supporting him. Meanwhile, the son, one of the sons and... And one of the daughters read by Wendy, like read in a paper by Wendy, uh, do well, not have good things to say. Before that, there's like, I think that even ramps oh, up more to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think that one's as, but then it's like, okay, this is really going off of like, yeah, this is beyond not being ethical anymore. This is. You're right. So. I'll just read what I wrote here a little second. So, like, okay, ethically wrong, but maybe somehow legal with the other cases initially um, of, like, what we talked about, him artificially inseminating these uh, women without their consent. But it's like, okay, maybe he's trying to help them get pregnant and have a kid. But with Dorothy, um, so this is... Mike's mom. One of the children's mothers. And then... She hadn't heard about it right? until the filming of this documentary, and he goes and tells her. Mm-hmm. And then she's telling the story of, like, the time she went there, and she did not go there to right. get Have pregnant. Yeah. yeah, she was, like, sick. sick or having pain somewhere, and he artificially inseminated her, yeah. which is essentially rape in my mind. Like, Yeah. Right? How is that not? Totally. Yeah. Well, we'll get uh, Dr. Fortier's thoughts on rape later. Um, But even if not for sure a crime, you can't just, like, impregnate somebody. You can definitely not do that. Like, the other ones, for sure, I feel like are crimes as well. But this woman was not even wanting to get pregnant, so you can't just... Um, And then this, like we said, she wasn't looking to get pregnant, so it completely changed her life, you know? She talks about how she was saving up money and wanted to go back to school and stuff and then once she had a got pregnant was, you know back in those days abortion was not legal yeah this was pre-roe v wade um so she pretty much had to have the kid and you know changed her life so yeah and she thought it was somebody else this whole time right and she did not have a good relationship with that man and so she was worried like her whole all of her son's life that like he was gonna display characteristics of her her ex and so just imagine like going through that and feeling so guilty about it okay so that's dorothy's story yeah well i wanted to say one other thing before we get too far there were cases against um Dr. Fortier. Uh, I thought we were going Fortier. Fortier, sorry. I got nervous and said the wrong thing. Um, Dr. Fortier, but he just like paid people off and was able to continue practicing. So this was like a known thing, and he was able to keep being a doctor. That seems wrong to me. How did he not lose his medical license at that point? So I I was disturbed by that. Rich people just pay people off and continue doing bad things. I don't like that. 
All right, you can continue. Go ahead. We get to the uh, creme de la creme. Oh, gosh. It's so bad. Like, the Dorothy stuff is... This, all, all of it's bad. Nothing is good. But <laughs> But they really is, ramp it up on you. Yeah. Okay. So, Wendy is doing her research. And she comes across this document from Connie, who was the daughter, one of um, Dr. Fortier... <laughs> daughters okay. stepdaughter stepdaughter you're Not right biological daughter okay so connie was his stepdaughter and she was so in this document she admits to being sexually molested by her stepfather and probably other stuff as well and as a result of what she calls these sexual attacks. Uh, she became pregnant at, I want to say 17, with um, her stepdad's son. And this son's name is Jonathan. And Wendy goes and meets with Jonathan. When Jonathan, no, when Connie's mom um, found out about this, she divorced Fortier. Um, but, Jonathan, but that wasn't until well later, yeah. like when Jonathan was 27 years old and right. he wanted to find out who his real parents were because he was put up for adoption immediately when he was born. Yeah. And when, correct me if I'm wrong, he meets Connie and then he meets, um, Dr. Fortier and has several conversations with him and he... You know, says that he's like a really likable guy, even though he did terrible things. And at first he didn't feel like it was his place to confront him about the terrible things. Like he thought that his biological mom should, should do that. Um, but he does say that he got into it a little bit with him. Okay, was it to Jonathan that the doctor guy um, said that Connie enjoyed being sexually molested and therefore it wasn't rape i believe i believe that was a letter connie had written either to him or to jonathan to the doctor or to jonathan to her stepdad or to jonathan i didn't know what you were getting at yeah about how it wasn't rough or anything so it wasn't rape and then also Later, we learn about he told somebody an excuse that was like, um, he he molested all of his kids, basically. Yeah. And he told somebody that he had some research that claimed that it didn't have a bad effect on children to be molested by their parents, which is yeah. like, okay, he's not a smart guy anymore. That was the point where I'm like, okay, this guy's not smart if he's... I think he's just doing anything he can to excuse his terrible behavior. At that point, he reminded me of Larry Nassar because in all the books and documentaries that I've read about all the... This is the Olympic gymnast uh, doctor guy. Um, and all the work I've read about him, he always goes back to like how... 
what he's doing is backed up by research and that these are like common medical practices and that he's not doing any doing anything wrong right like he always mm-hmm. like he, he gives like presentations about this and has powerpoints so it it's okay like that like it that reminded me of another creepy guy terrible person anyway yeah no that's a fair comparison yeah um and i guess another point to that is that when you're learning about uh larry nasser not in this documentary but it's just fresh in my mind because it wasn't too long ago um that he also did stuff with like his kids and the neighbor kids like it's not just in his medical practice it's beyond that and that's what the documentary this documentary gets into is Fortier molested all of his kids and his son that was um, interviewed earlier on in the documentary said that he just would do it to anyone because he just wanted to play so yeah yeah, so that's why I put that part about pulling the rug out because they, I think they did a good job of framing it like, oh, let's have these people kind of talk about them positive and sort of like a buildup of these yeah crimes getting more and more serious and uh, cruel and terrible, I guess. Right. I, I do think that it showed, like, okay, this guy is a doctor he has done a lot of you know i can't believe i'm saying this but like good for people in the sense that like he's given the maybes which is what they wanted but the way he goes about it is not ethical and not okay and he may have been a friendly guy but that doesn't excuse anything that well, I just feel like... What point, point are you trying to make here? He's a bad guy. Like, at the beginning of the movie, you don't think he's a bad guy 100%. You think that there's some good in him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, later on, disproved. So I'm just, like, echoing the fact that it was framed well in that way. That's all. But that being said, a complaint I have about the documentary is I feel like it would have worked better. And maybe it's just because I needed like this stuff to be separated out more. Um, like a TV series where like it went, no, you're shaking your head. Well, just because like. I it, mean, I, I feel like they didn't have much more than what they showed. So it was already a very short documentary, like. I don't feel like there was much more to, like, beyond just getting stories from the people, I don't yeah. think there was a lot more to uncover, like, documented-wise, documented and he's dead and gone, you can't talk to him. That's true. I just, I mean, maybe those were the only people that wanted to come forward, or I the I mean, only they had people. that little meeting thing, there was only, like, eight people or something that came to it, so... Yeah, and I, I get why this would be a really tough thing to talk about. So maybe people just didn't want to be interviewed for the documentary. That's fair. Um, also, 
The music was very calming and it made me sleepy. Okay. Just as a few critiques that I had. Did you have any critiques? Um, I guess if you wanted to play devil's advocate a bit, it makes this guy who's a piece of shit seem like he's not a piece of shit at the beginning. By, like, hiding that information until the end. Yeah. But, like I said, I think uh, that framing device they used is an effective way to tell that story. Because the first 30 minutes in, I'm like, okay, I mean, this guy seems pretty bad, but I don't know. Like, this, I don't know if I'd recommend it or anything. But then it gets to that point where it's like, whoa, it's more serious personal issues. Yeah. But I just wonder... And, like, this is only one person. I mean, it does talk a little bit about the other doctor guys and how they did similar things. Not to the extent number-wise, but, like, in medical school. Um, I just wonder, like, those two dozen doctors that were discovered post-making this documentary, if, like, they also had... Just because Personal he's issues. not unique doesn't mean he's not a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was not trying to defend him in any way. Okay. I hope it didn't come off of that. I was just saying, like, there probably is a big connection between these guys doing this and thinking... Or girls, I don't know. Well, no, it's sperm, so... Guys. Okay. Um, doing this and thinking it's okay and, like, also being terrible to their families and also like sexually assaulting and raping people like I just feel like how do you do that in your professional life and then you're like a perfect person otherwise that's my question is that a question you want me to answer is that like a rhetorical I mean either way I think you (laughs) I mean I don't know who those other people are so I cannot say Well, is there anything left to discuss? Um, I only had one more note. I said, so Dorothy asked mm-hmm. her son at one point, like, well, why do you think he was doing this? And then I I think it's, he strikes me as the type of guy who thinks uh, he's, like, got superior genes or something and wants yeah. to spread his seed and make sure as many people and also, like, his legacy will live on type of thing, which I think Wendy touched on a little bit at the end there, too. I think Dorothy asked, the, I'm probably paraphrasing, but, like, did he just want to see how many babies he could have? Yeah. Yeah, which kind of leads to the whole title of the movie being Baby God. It's just, did he, this guy think that he was... Well, there you go. If I had a critique, Baby God, not a great title. But doesn't it, like, leave you to wonder, like, ooh, what what could that be about? I don't know if I have a better title off the top of my head, but Baby God. Baby God? I don't know. That's not great in my mind. Okay. IMO. Yeah. (laughs) That would be IMM in my mind. In my mind. Uh, okay, that's all I had. If you liked what we said here, well, <laughs> I hope you already watched it, because we spoiled it. <laughs> oh, we definitely spoiled it. But I I, I'd say it's a good 
a good watch and like we said quick like only a little over an hour to watch so not yeah. a huge time commitment but it's really upsetting and gross this is true and i don't think it's a necessary watch okay it leads to like you know philosophical conversation and well i would say it would have without the other stuff like then it could be like oh is this guy ethical or not but Mm -hmm. then like the other stuff it's like no he was obviously not an ethical person he was terrible yeah yeah there's no wiggle room there we are not condoning anything he did Whenever I say that, this is an aside, and then we can move on. Whenever I say the word condone, I always think it's like a neg, like, condone means you're supporting it, right? But doesn't it sound like a negative thing? It's condemn. Very similar. Very, very similar. Very similar similar. spellings. Okay. Did you want to say anything that you learned? Or? Uh, It was kind of stuff we already talked about, like. The little facts I gave there, I guess, but those technically weren't from the movie. I would say the the that it was a common practice early on for the doctors and medical students to be the sperm donors. That's fair. And I already said mine, so I think we can move on to Book Nook. Okay. What did you read this week, Caleb? I read a library book. Interesting. I read the library book. Oh, wait. That's what I read. (laughs) So Caleb and I actually... Okay, for long-time listeners of the pod, you will know that Caleb and I have very different book tastes and that we've attempted in the past... We did one. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. All right. That's true. But I've tried to read books that Caleb is reading in the past. It's mainly me. And because he will read books that, yeah. So, hey, wow. This is, uh, okay. I'm not going to look too, <laughs> too deeply into this. But anyway, we successfully read that a book. That you means you have a more refined palate. You've read more books. You, you know though. when you're, yeah. you're not going to like a book. Yeah. That's and, fair. And me, I'm like... I'm 50 pages into this. I'm not quitting now. I've invested so much time. (laughs) Me, once I get to page 70, that's how I know. Okay, so let's talk about the library book a little bit since we both read it. We can just have like a little mini book chat about it and then move on. A mini book chat. Mini book chat. Go ahead. The library book is about um, a fire in 1986 at the Los Angeles Public Library. But it's more than that. It's about that, but then it's also about the history of the Los Angeles Public Library, like the central library there. And a little bit about um, just libraries in general. Yep. A little bit sprinkled in there. Also about the city librarians in Los Angeles. So we've got history. We've got modern. True crime. And yes, true crime, which I feel like, well, I was going to say modern analysis of libraries. Cut Mm. a little bit there. But that's okay. In my mind, the true crime stuff was the most, like, interesting and engaging part of the book for me. 
What do you, what was it for you? Uh, well, that's what I initially went in thinking it was going to be because, like, reading, you know, I guess in this case the inside of the book because mm-hmm. uh, it looks like a library book, kind of like a leather-bound sort of looking book. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Plus points there. Um, but I thought it was going to be more basically like just all true crime about like how this library fire happened and who did it and how they did it and how they caught it and stuff like that. But that's really maybe a third of the book. If that. Yeah. Um, it was more, yeah, about the history of the Los Angeles, Los Angeles library and how it started and how it grew and all these different uh, heads of the librarian throughout the decades of like what they contributed. And um, so I would say that ended up being a little more interesting to me just because of the lack of the true crime aspect of it, like the small amount of it. Yeah. And I feel like I also felt like, it, it kind was, of had a disappointing ending to the true crime that I feel. Yeah. It was marketed as a true crime book. And as so a Goodreads has it under category. Continue. <laughs> I mean, it was one of it was an early Reese Witherspoon pick for her. So that's who we have to play. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I like the book, so I didn't dislike it. I just was disappointed by like just, what it ended up being. Like, right. It felt more like a little a misadvertised almost. Yeah, but maybe intentionally so. Because would a large group of people read a history book about libraries, or would a large group of people read a book about like a true crime story? True crime and crime are uh, two of the. Subgenres. Yeah. So I feel like that was just, you know, to get more sales. And so I can't knock it because, I mean, it's hard for books to get bought nowadays, you know? And so. Especially library books, usually you just check them out for free. True. But that did lead me to feel disappointed. But it, it does give like a very wide history of the Los Angeles Public Library. So, if you're into that kind of thing, I'm just being like... <laughs> Los Angeles di- Public Libraries, I'm into it. Well, it's just, like, histories of libraries. Yeah. Since I'm in library school right now, it's just a lot right now. Yeah. But that's why I read the book. I read it for a class. So. <laughs> it's on me. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because you, like, bought this book and you wanted to read it, and I really wasn't interested. But then I was like, oh, I could pick this book for my class. Anyway, glad you liked it. Mm-hmm. Who would you recommend it to? Um, yeah, somebody who likes nonfiction, historical nonfiction. Yeah. And if you like libraries and want to learn more about them, obviously. Yeah. Definitely. Say of books I've read, which are not many, this is the most extensive about the history of libraries that I've read. So, you want to learn more about the history of libraries? It was fascinating to, like, read about the different philosophies that the city librarians had. Mm -hmm. So, like, 
there was some good stuff in it. And I feel like there were some chapters that were too short. Like, I wish she had gone in more depth about some things. So, I just didn't always agree with, like, what she chose to focus on. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, cast a wide net, but uh, maybe could have left some a little shorter and expanded on others type of thing. Exactly. And the last thing I'll say about it is I think she took... So, this one guy who was, like... Charles Loomis? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was probably my favorite part. Of the I know. Charles Loomis. Super interesting. Now I want to read his little, like... <laughs> his... Book his, of poetry? No, his one he wrote while walking from Cincinnati yeah. to Los Angeles or whatever. I know. He, he was an interesting fellow. But he, no, uh, Susan Orlean, was interviewing, I think it was like a past city librarian, and he was like, in order to you know write about this, you need to know about libraries. I think she just really took that to heart and then decided to just like, share as much information as she could about libraries specifically in Los Angeles with her her audience and maybe got away from it a little bit. Oh, like initially she's like, I'm just going to write about this library fire because yeah, that sounds like it could be interesting. I haven't yeah. heard of this. And Why then, not? And then that guy said that thing to her and I think she just was like, <laughs> dang it, I'm going to completely restructure this. Nonfiction books be like that sometimes where they're like, I have to explain everything I introduce very in depth. When you don't, you lose people that way. But I think giving it that bit of true crimeness, like throughout trickled throughout keeps you going kind of. I mean, it does, but that's the other thing she does that I just don't, I personally did not like is she would, like, start talking about the true crime stuff and then go into, like, the history of this specific aspect of libraries and then go, like, back through the entire history of the city librarians and then, oh, yeah, remember the true crime? Like, then she would go back to that. I was okay with that, but I feel like the... Not necessarily the ending, but, like, the criminal got given away, like, in the second chapter. Like, yeah, this is who did it, probably. Yeah. And then you find out more of like, well, did he do it or not? But Yeah, don't don't spoil it. It's in like the second chapter. <laughs> I know. She spoils it. Anyways. Okay. So well, that's the library book. Yeah. So I gave it three stars out of five, but Caleb gave it four out of five. That's so. one of those good reads, you know, if really wish that the half stars like letterboxd it would have been a three and a half star but i also think it would have been a three and a half so we averaged it out good job oh. team <laughs> good job okay combine our our ratings yeah. all right so that's the library book should we move on to what we're talking about next time yeah but i do want to say one last thing oh, okay i know i said that before but <laughs> i thought of another thing to say just one more thing thank you for reading this with me it was like a fun experience to get to, you know, read aloud to each other and, mm-hmm. you know, it motivated me. Did some popcorn reading. Yeah, I mean, I read <laughs> There's it. only one person to call on every time. But <laughs> <laughs> Newton never wanted to read. God. He was that kid. We try. We, we all know that kid. Anyway. But yeah, it was fun. I, I want to do that again sometime. All right. Well, find another one. We'll, we'll both agree to read. Okay. I'll work on it. All right, now can we move on to... We can move on now. What we're covering next time. 
Next time, we will be watching the documentary Dick Johnson is Dead. This is on Netflix. It's also about an old white guy. Hopefully less problematic. But we don't know yet. I, I don't think that's what it's about. But I, I think it's a daughter films a documentary about her dad because he's getting, getting up there and uh, sounds like he might have Alzheimer's or dementia, so he's losing his memory a bit to kind of like have something to remember him by and stuff. Yeah. Like and share his story. Yeah. So. Sounds sweet. Maybe a little less uh, dark next week, hopefully. Yeah. Well, probably still dark. You know, it's death, but. We'll let's, see. Let's see. We'll see how it goes. We will. So Dick Johnson is dead. That's what we will be doing in two weeks. Yep. Alrighty. So thank you so much for listening. Call your loved ones. Wear a mask. Wear two masks. <laughs> Wear two masks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.